We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's going to be king, and it's cool the way the Lord brings it to pass. But then as he becomes king, it's really neat how he then, in wisdom, begins to lead and to unite the nation and to conquer for the glory of God. And, and, and I was just thinking about how, in one sense, we all have that responsibility in our own lives you know, to, um, to, to get rid of sin, to, to allow the Lord to rule in our life, and uh, to grow as, uh, as Christians, as husbands, as wives. I know that I've been a Christian now since 1989, and I can honestly say this to you, that I am just uh, not at all content in where I am in Christ, and I feel like my wife and I, and in our family, and in ministry, that we are doing things that we've never done, that we're growing, that we're striving to be like Christ. And so it's a real exciting thing. I guess it never ends, but um, I pray that there would be a passion knowing, you know, that we're living in the last days. We really are. And so I'm aggressively cooperating with the Holy Spirit. At least I'm trying. And I pray that we would have that heart. But here in Second Samuel chapter 4, Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all Israel was troubled. Now, I know we're picking it up in the middle of a story here, but um, remember, Abner was the general of the armies of Israel. Uh, Ishbosheth was the king, and what had happened was Joab had killed Abner. It was kind of a, you know, he... he he, he killed him without even allowing him to defend himself. It was a real ugly thing. It's all part of God's plan, though. God's going to use, we're going to see, the wickedness of man to accomplish his purposes. And I pray that would always encourage you because sometimes we look out in the world or even in our own personal lives and we see the wickedness. And I think a lot of times Christians are freaking out and we shouldn't be freaking out because God's on the throne. God is accomplishing his purposes. Jesus is coming. I think a lot of times we forget that. You know, the Lord's going to do the work. I mean, Joab shouldn't have killed Abner. We're going to see later on these two, you know, scoundrels. They kill Ishbosheth, and he's, as he's taking a nap, and, you know, 12 new, not able to defend himself. You know, and we look at all these things, and we think, how wicked, how wicked, how wicked, how wicked. You know, Louis Giglio was going to do the invocation. You know, and I don't think he's right on. I don't know what his motives were for praying for our president, but, you know, the pressure is, oh, no, this guy is against uh, gay marriage, so we can't let him pray. That's the, that's the world that we live in. But do you realize, do you trust, are you firmly persuaded that God is going to accomplish his purposes? And one day, when we're home in heaven, do you believe, do you understand that not one person will be missing? Why are Christians freaking out? I mean, it's okay to fight the good fight. And it's okay to raise your voice and do what we can. But whatever you do, don't fret. Don't lose heart. Don't freak out. You know, because here we see that, that Abner died. And, and God is just moving his king towards the throne. Just like right now, when, all, when we see all the things that are going on in the world, God is moving his king towards the throne. King Jesus. He's coming. I'm excited. I can't wait for that day. But you know, um, Abner dies. 
uh, everybody's, you know, uh, tripping out. Uh, all the whole nation loses is losing heart. You know, it's a real big thing, right? They're troubled. And so we read in verse 2, Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Beanna, and the name of the other, Rechab, the son of Ramon, the Beorothite of the children of Benjamin. For Beoroth also was part of Benjamin, because the Beorothites fled to Gitaim and have been sojourners there until this day. And so Jonathan, Saul's son, had son, had who was lame in his feet, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled and it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth and we're going to study more about Mephibosheth in chapter 9, a really, really neat story. And I think basically what the writer here is just trying to do is just trying to say, there's a couple of knuckleheads, these guys right here. Um, they're going to, but they're about to do something. They're about to kill the king of Israel. Um, they were captains. There wasn't a real high rank, um, but they were there. And uh, he mentions Mephibosheth because a lot of people believe that he was the only remaining, you know, descendant of Saul that had any chance of coming to the throne. But this guy was lame in his feet. Because when the word came in 1 Samuel 29.1, 1 Samuel 29.11, that Saul and his sons had died, then they fled. They fled the palace because they thought, well, who knows, the Philistines might come or David might come and who knows what's going to happen. And so when they fled, he was then wounded. And so he's kind of just setting the stage that things don't look good. Things are not looking good in Israel from their perspective. And so we read in verse 5, Then the sons of Ramon, the Beerothite, Rechab, and Beanna set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. Now, I don't know, you know, if that's a good thing necessarily in and of itself, you know, taking a nap <laughs> at noon. Do you guys still do that? I remember when my son was young, I used to love his naps because I used to take him with him, you know. <laughs> um, but there are some who go too far and I think they're kind of lazy. I have a feeling that's probably what's going on with this king right here. You know, Ishbosheth, he's an interesting guy. He's Saul's son. Abner made him king and he never really like seized the opportunity. He never really ran with it. Uh, of course, it, it wasn't maybe, you know, a gift that he had naturally, I guess you could say. But, you know, he never sought the Lord, you know, to develop that. And, and to me, Ishbosheth is kind of like some of those guys, you know, they have an opportunity to, to do something great. And God actually promotes them. God actually gives them open doors. And, 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 they're, and, they're, and they don't do anything. They don't run with it. They don't see the amazing opportunities that God has given them. And there they are taking a nap in the middle of the day. And I'm not saying that you can never take a nap. Don't get me wrong. Warren Wiersbe says sometimes the godliest thing you can do is take a nap. Right? Because some of you guys, um, what's the word? Um, you get cranky. <laughs> and you need to get your rest. Go to sleep. You know, get your rest. But, but some of the time, people just are lazy they're just lazy and there they are and they've been given this opportunity i mean you know ishbosheth the king of israel 
And, and there he is, I think in one sense, it's a reflection of being lazy, it's a revelation of maybe letting his guard down. I mean, when can we let our guard down? I don't know about you, but there's not a moment of my life, there's not a split second of my life where I can let my guard down. You know, I could be watching TV and a commercial comes on, I can't let my guard down. Because I know what happens if I look at the wrong thing or say the wrong thing to my wife or my kid, and they'll remember that for the rest of their lives. And the enemy comes in and he can come in any day. And so, I don't know, Ishbosheth to me, you know, taking a nap at noon, um, probably lazy, probably letting his guard down. Uh, some people believe that the one that was watching the door was actually female. I mean, this guy really, he just didn't have a clue. You know, my encouragement to you is that God's given you a position, and I think many husbands, fathers have been given a position of leadership. Man, I want to encourage you you know, seize that opportunity. Maybe you're not as gifted as him. Maybe you are. I don't know, but I do know this. It's a great opportunity. Don't be like Ishbosheth, because look what happens to this guy. In verse 6, it says, And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. And then Rechab and Bana, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. And then they struck him, and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head. And we'll just stop there for a moment. And it's an ugly thing, huh? I, should, I won't ask you if you've seen videos. There's videos out there. People being beheaded. Huh? This is an ugly thing. And like I said earlier, this is wickedness. And not that God authors it. But God allows it, and God gives man his freedom. He has that responsibility, but let's take heart in the fact that God is on the throne, and God is exercising his sovereignty. And so even in such wicked deeds, God is moving things towards the king. And so they come, and it's interesting, when you read this book, I don't know if this means anything, man, but they keep stabbing people in the stomach. You know, and I've been gaining weight lately, and I'm like, Lord, is that, is that, is there something there about that? I don't know. They just keep stabbing people in the stomach. We're going to see it through the whole book. Anyways, they kill this guy, and so what ends up happening, it says right there, they beheaded him, and they took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. And they brought the head of Abishbesheth to David at Hebron, and said to the king, here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, this day of Saul and his descendants. But David answered Rechab and Beanna, his brother, the sons of Remon, the Berethite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, and notice this, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. When someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news. I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed? Therefore, shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? And so David commanded his young men and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth, 
and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. David was different. He didn't rejoice in the death of his enemies or anyone that might be seen as a potential threat to him, for example, Ishbosheth. Here David refers to the events that took place after Saul's death when David executed the Amalekite, if you remember, who claimed to kill King Saul, something we read about in the first chapter of this book. And, and when you look at David, he, uh, he's an example for us. He's about to be crowned the king of Israel and Judah. And it is something that he had been waiting for for probably at least 13 years. He's an example of Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 who says that, that we by faith inherit the promises. By faith we inherit the promises. God said, I'm going to make you king. He's probably 17 years old. He's just a kid. He's thinking, well, maybe one day. He goes in. He becomes, you know, part of the in crowd. He starts winning battles, defeating giants, the Philistines. God's using him in a tremendous way. But then after maybe three years of success, unparalleled, he's then, you know, the, the number one wanted man in the country and the king, whom he never wronged, chases him for ten years. And so during the 10 years, it, it was, that's where, where faith comes in. The three years of prosperity, that doesn't really mean a whole lot. You know, when things are going hunky-dory in your life and you're, and you're just, you know, you're on track with the Lord and you're, everything's cool, you know, that's cool. Praise God for that. You know, you always have to stay close to Jesus. But when you get hit hard, when you're on the run for 10 years, when they're trying to kill you, when you've done nothing wrong, when the devil and all of hell are trying to take you down, it's then that, you know, faith becomes a factor. Is it real or not? Now, for some out there, you turn on the TV, and to them, faith is name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. I'm going to believe it. Yes, I'm going to speak it. You know what? That's not really faith, although I think there is something in our heart that has to believe and receive. But you want to know what faith is? Faith is obedience when it's difficult. Because you believe in God and you believe He honors obedience. Faith is a life that says, you know what? My God was crucified for me on a cross. He died for me. If your God died for you and you believe that, then why are you having problems living a life of absolute abandon to that God who died for you? If he died for you, why won't you die to yourself? If he died for you and you really believe that, why do you have struggles living for him? You see, faith is, you know, when it's hard, but you know what, you just... You're going to go forward. You're going to obey. You're going to live the life. David did that for, for 10 years. Now, of course, he wasn't perfect because we all fail the Lord. We, we fall. But there was a general inclination of a heart that was after God's own heart. 
And, and by faith, and this is what happens. And I told you guys this last week, man, I really believe this. God has told me, Manny, love your wife, love your children, keep in the word, keep in prayer, live a life of obedience, teach the word, just, you know, continue to do those simple things. And you watch, one day I will reward you. You just got to keep obeying, keep going forward. I don't know how the rewards are going to work. Maybe it'll be after we die. I don't know. Maybe it'll be here. I don't know. That's not really my, 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 that's not important to me. I just know that one day your obedience through the difficulties, your consistency in your walk as a Christian, you just keep going forward even though it's hard. You keep obeying. God will reward that. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, that's what the Bible says. By faith, they inherit the promises. And that's what, that's what David did. And he is, in, in this sense, an example for us. Right here, right now, this is David at, its, at his finest. This is David as an example. He's not happy they cut off Ishbosheth's head because he has the heart of God. God doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. And David's like Jesus and... And so he's not happy. And so what does he do? Well, David knows the word. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 says, If you kill anybody, you murder people. Man's created in God's image. I'll require it from you. David said, no problem. I'm going to live by the word of God. You're dead. Kill these guys. I like David. I don't know. A lot of things about him just inspire me at this point. Now, these guys right here, they were looking for something, huh? They were one of those people looking for a position. If I bring the head of Ishbosheth, I'm sure David will give us some type of promotion and definitely was not right. But what we find right here is David expresses something so beautiful and we learn from this. I want to show you guys real quick, see if I can get this to work. Um, the map. Because it kind of helps to, to give you a visual of this. Let me see. This is where Ishbosheth was. Can you guys see that? Mahanaim. He's on the wrong side of the Jordan River, for one. He's over here, Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, the half tribe of Manasseh. And so these guys, they killed the, the king Ishbosheth, and they traveled all the way over here to Hebron. That's probably like 100 miles. 90 miles. I, I don't think they did it in one night, but, but they traveled that distance. And we're going to see that that right there is a, is a factor in that these guys, man, they had a heart of wickedness. But what ends up happening is David has then been again begin to move. One thing I want to show you guys is right here real quick is that this is really the area of the Philistines. This is going to become a factor for us because the Philistines are all the way over here in Bethlehem. So they're, they're way over here. What are they doing over here? They're in God's territory. We're going to see what David's going to do is David's going to move from Hebron to Jerusalem, which is on the brink. It's on the border of Judah and Benjamin. He's real wise in his decisions. And then what he's going to do, see this map line right here? He's going to drive out the Philistines. And what happens, you guys, is David... He just starts using a lot of wisdom. 
and I, and I'm learning as a as a father, as a as a dad, and I still got a long way to learn. Even as a as someone, who I want God to bless this church. That I need to use wisdom, making decisions. And I know for sure that the wisdom that that David had at this point, we're going to see what a difference he makes, is because of the fact that that he knew all about the Lord and what the Lord had done in his life. Don't you just love that verse right there, you guys, in verse 9? As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. I mean, as the Lord lives, and you know, Elijah said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, and you go through the Bible, as the Lord lives, and they'll, they'll tag it with whatever it is important to them. To David it was, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. That was his, his starting point. Now, as he enters into this place that God had prepared him for to be king, this was where he was. The interesting thing about this is you, you, you got to notice that word redeemed my life from all adversity. Because there's a message there. And what that message is, is it doesn't mean, David didn't say who has kept my life from all adversity. Because that's not the way it is. God doesn't keep us from all adversity. As a matter of fact, we know that David experienced more adversity. More adversity than most people will ever experience. Plenty of adversity, an abundance of adversity. And you can read about them when you read the Psalms. But see, see what he did through those hard times? It's through those hard times David then sat down and he just started writing to God. And in those difficulties, he was able to minister to others. As you read the Psalms, you see, God didn't necessarily keep David from adversity, but he redeemed him from it. And that means that those adversities were not really adverse. They actually turned out for David's advantage in the end. And whatever it is that you're going through right now, can you believe God for that? Can you trust God to, to just know that the adversity that you're experiencing right now, that God will redeem you from them. He's not going to keep you from going through them, but he will give purpose to them. And you're going to see one day, and it's going to make you worship how God used all those crazy things for your good. Romans 8.28, you know, Joseph, he said that Jew, Jacob said that in Genesis chapter 48, verse 16, he said, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. See, God redeems us from those things. In Joseph's life, chapter 50, verse 20 of Genesis, but as for you, he said to his brothers, you guys meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good, right? In order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. And that's why James says that when you fall into various trials, to freak out. No, I'm just joking. He doesn't say that. You know, and, and do we, I wonder if we do that. But he says, you know, when you fall into various trials, count it all joy. I love it when people do that. Praise the Lord. By faith, they're trusting in God. See, Right here, David, he's right on track. And so we read in verse 1, it says, In all the tribes of Israel, they came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. 
Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And, and I was sharing with you guys last week something, you know, as a, as a side note, one day you're going to be king. <laughs> the Bible says that, you, and you're like, not me, I'm not a leader. Yeah, one day we're going to be kings. He's made us kings and priests, and we will rule with him. You guys, I mean, and, and I don't know, do you, do you believe? Do you believe in that day, that that day is going to come one day? I mean, I'm learning that time is going by so fast. I've learned that. Today, my daughter bought me lunch. Can you believe that? I mean, man, she's growing up. You know, it was kind of cool. I mean, I, I, I said, I feel bad about that. I thought that would never happen, but I was broke, and she had, you know, the cash. And so, anyways, Monday, my son taught the class with me, the class for our online Bible school. He taught that class with me together I mean I'm like man time is flying and the day's gonna come you guys we are going to be there we're gonna be in heaven we're gonna be kings and priests with the Lord this is an amazing thing I hope you guys know how real it is and it's gonna be here before you know it but we have to live a life of understanding that believing that you know, when you read this section right here, it might be good to read 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 1 Chronicles chapter 14. They're parallel passages. Remember, the elders had already been mustered up for David's coronation under the leadership of Abner. We read that in chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. And so here they are finally acknowledging something that God had set up about 13 years earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when the Bible says that God anointed David as the king. And the Holy Spirit came upon him from that day forward. You know, the interesting thing about it is that everybody knew. I mean, everybody knew what Samuel had done. But it just seemed like nobody really wanted to acknowledge what God wanted to do. And so they still followed Saul. They followed Abner. They followed Ishbosheth. Finally, the day comes where everybody, in one sense, they acknowledge the king. And I can't wait for that day. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to be an awesome day. Here they crown David as king. And they mention in verse 2 that David was leading them to victory even while Saul was still king. You know, they remembered that. Back in 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, David went out, behaved wherever wisely wherever Saul sent him. And Saul sent him over the men of war and was accepted in the sight of all the people. that They all knew. First Samuel 18, 13, Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. In First Samuel 18, 16, All Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. It's pretty cool when you get God's man. God's man in that place of leadership. David was God's man. Saul was a permissive will. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was man's man. 
And you know, there's a lot of, I think, even churches, ministries, people, they're, they're being led by man's man. And you know, uh, it's God's permissive will, because we live in a fallen world, a broken world. But when you get God's man, it's an amazing thing what ends up happening. I love it when you see individuals and you just know, you know what, there's no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit is upon them. They're anointed by God. And you see that sometimes it's in worship. Sometimes it's, an, it's, just in you, it's a beautiful thing. And they have a heart of humility and love and obedience. And I, and I just think that's where David was. David was, was God's man. David was the one gifted, prepared, and chosen by the Lord, anointed by the Lord. In verse 3, we have this covenant. It says, King David made a covenant with them at Hebron. Notice before the Lord. That's probably a really cool covenant. Uh, I was thinking of 2 Kings eleven seventeen. It says, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. I just love it, just how David had that relationship with God and how he was called to be their shepherd. We see that here in verse 2. You shall shepherd my people Israel. Psalm seventy-eight, seventy-two is a beautiful psalm that says, So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. That's how we shepherd people. The integrity of our heart. It's got to start with character. It's got to start as a leader. You know, some people are like, well, I'm a class A personality or whatever, type A personality, whatever, you know, and I'm a leader. And you know what? I don't know. You know, that's the world, man. The integrity of your heart. That's how a leader is supposed to lead. That's how a shepherd is supposed to, to feed the flock and lead the flock and the skillfulness, then the skillfulness of his hand. And you cultivate those gifts. That's who David was. And so we read in verse five, 4 that David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah 7 years and 6 months. And in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And so David was a king for a total of 40 years. Reigning 40 years over Judah and 33 years over all Israel and Judah combined. Uh, verse 4 tells us that David was 30 years old when he became king. I mean, any, is there anybody here that's 30 years old? Well, the, the girls, you don't have to raise your hand. Never mind, I shouldn't ask that question. 30 years old, to me, that's young. Uh, don't you think? And some of the, the teachers are going, what? <laughs> that's old. <laughs> no. 30 years old is kind of young if you think about it but that's how old uh, Joseph was when he usurped the position God called him to in Genesis 41 46 and of course it's interesting to me that's how old Jesus was 30 years old interesting Luke chapter 3 verse 23 tells us that and so on verse 6 it says and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David saying you shall not come in here but the blind and the lame will repel you thinking David cannot come in here nevertheless David took the stronghold of Zion that is the city of David now David said on that day whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites 
the lame and the blind who were hated by David's soul. He shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around them the Milo and inward. Now when you study the Bible, it's interesting. Jerusalem had not yet really been captured. In Joshua chapter 15, verse 63, it says, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. In Judges chapter 1, verse 21, we see the same thing. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. And so the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin to Jerusalem in that day, back in Joshua and Judges. And here we see even in 2 Samuel, they still haven't conquered Jerusalem. And it's interesting to me. David becomes king. First thing he does, he goes after Jerusalem. The very first thing he does, he goes after Jerusalem. What do you guys think of when you think of Jerusalem? And there's a lot there. I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but maybe give you guys some things to think about. How about your home? How about your home? You become a Christian. God gives you, you know, power of the Holy Spirit. How about Jerusalem? How about your home? Maybe how about your heart? I mean, Jerusalem is like the key to this country. Jerusalem is up 200, what is 2,500 feet above sea level. And interesting thing, like I mentioned earlier, it's right in between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It's uh, surrounded three sides with a valley. It's only vulnerable on one side. And so it was really a difficult place to conquer. But if you conquer Jerusalem, then really you got the whole country. David knew that, immediately became king, boom, he goes after Jerusalem. He was smart, he was wise, he understood the way it worked in life. And that's the same for us. You know, the Bible says that we've got to take care of our home. We've got we to take care of our heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Pray for your heart. Creating me a clean heart. Protect your heart. What goes in? And so David is so wise. He's unifying the kingdom and he's getting this place and he knows God's going to give him the victory. No one else has been able to get it, but, but God's going to give him the victory. And, I, and then we're going to see Joab, he climbs up the shaft and he, he becomes general. Joab was, he was, he was a pretty, pretty buff dude. But um, we see that what ended up happening was uh, you read First Chronicles 11 and 14, and like I said, it's a parallel passage to this, that, you know, in this whole story, uh, Chronicles gives us David's mighty men. Because we can't forget that David couldn't have done this by himself. He needed other men helping him out. Here we see Joab is one of them. The other guys are there too. And God ends up doing an amazing work. Right here, Jerusalem, geographically and spiritually, was the priority. It served as the unifying location for the nations, straddling the border of the northern and southern kingdom. 
Jerusalem literally means city of peace or teaching of peace. It would later represent the city of God, Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. And one day we know the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, will rule from the city of Jerusalem. Here we read about Joab as the instrument to conquering the city and earned him the right to become the general. And it's interesting right here, we have this word stronghold, the stronghold of Zion in verse 7. Could also be translated the fortress or castle. And so, if you can visualize this, how many of you guys here have seen the Lord of the Rings? You guys have seen that, and you know how those they have those impregnable, you know, castles or whatever. It's kind of like that, maybe not as dramatic, you know, but they are able to to get in there. And here we read about Joab being used by the Lord. I believe you guys that we have to have our priorities right. And we got to take care of Jerusalem. Take care of your family. Take care of your heart. Take care of your, your, the, the, the part of your life that nobody sees. You know, the second, uh, what is it, what are they called, icebergs? You know, two-thirds of it is underwater, if not more. And, and when your devotional life is right, your quiet time is right, Jerusalem is right, everything else will be right. And that's what David knew. He goes right after Jerusalem. And so we read in verse 10, So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. What do you think it means he went on to become great? What does that mean? Does that mean that, you know, he was, he was famous? Uh, maybe. He became a great, famous king. I, I think, though, that there's more to it as the Holy Spirit was the one really inspiring these words, to me, you guys, I think that there's a lot of truth in the fact that he was great in the sight of God. Because what good is it? What good would it be to be great in the sight of men and not great in the sight of God? And, and I love that. And he, just, he went on to become a great man. You know, God can do that in our lives. You know, you guys, I, I pray that we come on a Thursday night and, and you know, I, I'm not sure why you're here. For some of you here, maybe you're just, you're obligated. You feel obligated to be here. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But, but I pray that you would come and know that as you meet with God and as you begin, and the Lord's really teaching me this, it's hard to change a person just by speaking to them and teaching them you know, these things. But the Bible is a living word and it's a working word and it can do works in your life. But if you're, if you're experiencing that frustration of not really growing, not really changing, it's because the way that we really change is we, we begin to put these things into practice by faith. And then you're going to find that, that you're, you're going to see, God's going to prove himself to you. And, and you're going to grow. You're going to change. Because a lot of times people just don't change. I'm not saying you're not saved. But you are not experiencing the fullness of the life God has for you. But watch what happens when you begin to put these things into practice. When you get hit with an adversity and you praise the Lord because you know He's on the throne. And God has redeemed you from all the adversities of your life. All I'm saying is that, you know, I want to be great but not in man's eyes i want to be i want the i want to please the lord 
I want to honor the Lord. This has really been a heavy word in my heart lately, to honor God, to honor the Lord because he died for me, to honor him with my life. That's what David, he went on to become great. And part of it, I think, is because he was then prepared and then being used by God for the benefit of his people that he loves so much. And so we read in verse 11, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. And so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and then he exalted his kingdom for the sake of who? His people. See, it's always, it's not for David, it's for God and the good of his people. Is for Israel, for the people. And David took more concubines. Now David wasn't perfect. Here's where he messes up, right? And why is it's hard enough just having one wife, right? Right? What happens, man? After he had come from Hebron, also more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem, Shamua, Eshobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. Now remember, you guys, as we're reading the Bible, we have the whole story now, and we learn from what they did right, hopefully, but we also learn from what? What they did wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says, you're not supposed to multiply wives. God never approved of polygamy. He allowed it. They practiced it. It was a very cultural, strong thing, but it never was approved by God. And, you know, Christians a lot of times are like that. We're like, well, everybody else is doing it. And yet God's word says don't do it, but we do it because everybody else is doing it. You know what? God won't honor that. He has these wives. It messes up. One area that David messed up, and we're going to see later, is as a parent. And so we learn from these things in verse 13. We read in verse all the way through 16, verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went up and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphim. Then, so David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men, they carried them away. They did like Deuteronomy said, get rid of these things. See, and, and, I, and I, I, we don't have a lot of time, but I do want to say this, you guys, that that David, to me, when I'm reading this right here, I'm thinking about how he's getting his life right, how he's cleaning house, how he's doing a work for the nation of Israel. But then I also want to take that because, you know, more chances are you're not going to be like, you know, President of the United States. Maybe you will. Maybe, maybe I see a couple of potential candidates here. But I'm thinking in my own life, Lord, um, help me to, 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 to conquer Jerusalem. And Lord, what are the enemies in my life that need to be banished 
from my life. Because remember what I was telling you guys earlier? The Philistines, they were, they were over here in Bethlehem. What are they doing in Bethlehem? They don't belong there. The Philistines, even though they shouldn't even have it, but they did have this strip of land here, but they were coming all the way over here. So David now, he's going to do a work and he's going to kick him out. And that's what we need to do in our life. There are things that are living in our life. There are habits. I was thinking about this because you guys know how weird I am. Heart. Get the heart right and get the habits right. And there are things that we are doing, that we are saying, there's sins that we're committing. And God is just saying, you know what, it's time. Get rid of them. And you pray to the Lord, Lord, what do I do? How do I do it? God will tell you exactly how to do it. There should be no one here under bondage to any sin. Under the power of sin, the Bible says, sin shall not have dominion over you. And so David prays, Lord, will you help me? The Lord says, yeah, I'll help you. Go, you watch. He gets the victory. The Philistines are the enemies. Man, David's about to just conquer for the glory of God. And, and then he just continues this relationship. In verse 22, it says, Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be, I love this, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, and you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. And we see Gezer on the map up here. I mean, they just, man, they kicked them out. They kicked them out. And, uh, and that had never happened before. I mean, David is about to... He's about to, to give to the nation of Israel what God had promised to them hundreds of years ago. He was about to give to them a victory that they had never experienced before in the history of their existence. And as I go through this section right here, I'll tell you what, that's what I'm asking the Lord. God, I've been alive now for 46 years this is what I want Lord I want you to rule over all of my life King Jesus I now crown you king of my life you're the one you're supposed to rule not me not Saul not Ashner Abner not Ishbosheth there ain't no other king Lord, you're the king. You died for me. Help me to live for you. And so by faith, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, <laughs> by faith, they obtain the promises. I pray you guys would obtain all the promises God has for you. I believe they're great. Father, we thank you for your word and your love, your grace in our life, Father. I thank you for... Uh, allowing us to study and see, Lord, and learn from victories and even mistakes, defeats, sins, knowing, Lord God, that you have a promised land for every single person here. I believe that with all of my heart, and I pray that they would believe that too. Lord, touch us and teach us 
and do a mighty work by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, give me wisdom. And, and, I, and I pray that everybody would pray that same prayer. Give me wisdom, Lord. How do I connect the dots? How do I apply this to my life? Again, we love you and thank you so much for loving us, Lord. We pray together in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.